There's certainly a serious amount of bullshit that is pervasive in marketing. I mean, it comes with the territory, right? There's got to be that razzle-dazzle to get customers excited. But I think everybody on this panel has been around long enough to know that fads disappear fast. And falling for the hype can hurt brands. So with that, I have three amazing experts to kind of suss all this out. I have Piers Fox, founder of PSFK, which never goes out of style. So welcome. And then I have uh, Keely Adler, cultural futurist at Dentsu McGarry Bowen. She has her detector finely tuned for today. And then lastly, I have Shingy, um, the ever iconic digital prophet. And I'm going to put Shingy on the spot first. What is the biggest load of bullshit in marketing right now? You know, Ken, I think what's what's interesting, particularly at the start of this year, is that the, the, the end of last year felt like an exhausting run to the finish line of something we didn't know we were running to. And because it felt like we fell into this metaverse vortex when Facebook came out and said, we own meta. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Are you joking? This thing's been around for decades in comparison to where they're headed. But that $40 billion of investment next year has to go somewhere. So it might as well go to that shiny object. So kind of everybody having to be immersed in the metaverse is something that I'm, I'd like to call out as BS. You know, and I think we're, we're, we're in a learning stage, right? You know, we're all kind of, I think that, you know, I'll come to you, Keely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have clients, you know, like, what? give me answers. What is this? What does it mean? You know, what do you say to them? And, and also, I mean, I think for the, the purpose of this session, it's we can look at what the short-term realities are. But, you know, as, as, these, as the futurists that, that you are, we can look at, you know, hypothetically, what could happen five years from now? What, what should brands be planning for? Yeah, I mean, I I read somewhere recently that a, a good forecaster has uh, works with radical imagination, but has one foot planted firmly in the ground, right? And I think that quote is illustrative of some of the the bullshit that, that surrounds all of this, you know, frenzied, semi obsessive discourse around Web three and the metaverse. It's like people have lost their sense of gravity and they've floated up untethered with the hype. And I think the thing that I would like to tell clients and, and uh, you know, the thing that I, I like to tell my teammates is no one is late to the metaverse party just yet. No one is late and they're not going to be late for, for years and years to come when you really sit down and you think about adoption curves and just where the tech is today. So to, to put it shortly, like the bullshit is really an acting like, like we're late to the party and, and, and chasing that frenzy and not paying more attention just to, to sort of the why behind the what, right? We're chasing the shiny object. We're not chasing the like critically important sort of, you know, meaningful shifts that that sit behind and also in front of this metaverse conversation from a human societal perspective. So that's really where I try to shift the focus. I think the, met, the notion that the metaverse is this virtual world that either Xeroxes our existing world or creates a fantasy of our of our world of dreams. That that's the that's the problem. I think um, there are already metaverses already in existence, and I think probably the biggest metaverse today is Discord. So we have this massive chat community thing happening, this beast happening, which which is a metaverse. It just isn't this sort of Mark Zuckerberg vision of of this sort of perfect future. Um, and, you know, there are already virtual experiences. They're called video games. And so when someone's on Discord, they're in there and then they dash off to a video game and then they come back. And I, I wonder whether in 10 years, 20 years' time, we might look back at Facebook's decision to jump into the metaverse and we might have said, maybe they should have just bought Discord at that time rather than gone off and build a bunch of AR, VR projects. 
But Pierce, I've already bought Oculus, mate. So they got, at some point in time, there has to be a realization on that return, I would have said. And, and around 2017, I think you guys would have agreed, we probably all called bullshit on VR at that point and said it's not going to be mass adopted. There's no way in hell because the largest manufacturer of VR headsets at that time was Google Cardboard and probably hasn't changed today. I mean, I haven't put a Google, I haven't put a, a, a VR headset on for at least a couple of years without it being a gaming experience. So the fact that it's really niche and narrow is incredibly important. But trying to make the metaverse a thing, it's been around for a long time in the gaming experience, as you as you suggested. But there are 280 million gamers today. So that, it, it has got to a point where it's adopted and it's got to be corralled into something. And so all brands are trying to get involved in that, it seems, to try and embed themselves in the middle of that experience, which is not new. This is 20 years old. Yeah. But the, but the, but the kind of get involved, the brands get involved seems to be like selling them a piece of virtual land and then building a store. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, like yeah. the land is infinite, you know, and there's no one going past your store. There's not like a real world experience. And so I think that's kind of one of the issues with like where companies go. Like H&M's got a brand new virtual store. Like why, where? Or is it just to kind of show the CEO that we're on trend and we're like, doing stuff. I don't know. That's what I think the struggle is, is, you know, it it wasn't real. It wasn't the intention of that Walmart video that went viral of people sort of, you know, is this really the metaverse? Are we going to be shopping the virtual aisles of Walmart? And is that an articulation of what this future holds? And I think that's where, where we get it wrong to your point, Pierce. It's not about like replicating what exists in the real world and, and putting that into, into the digital ether. It's, it's more important to focus on the things that are are really um, you know fruitful and and possible as a result of so much of this change, right? Like like the way that we approach community and fandom, and the way that we talk about like value creation and value sharing and sort of identity ownership, and the way that gaming has influenced the way that we flex and and form our identities. That sort of shifting power dynamic. Those are the things that are more interesting to pay attention to and are more meaningful for marketers and strategists, you know, over the next few years than this sort of virtual utopia that, you know, eventually Web3 is going to come to the, come to the fore, but it's not it's not coming tomorrow. So there are there are, you know, places where we should be paying attention uh closer in than than I think chasing uh so many of the the conversations we're chasing right now. I think the example you give is like with Walmart is kind of replicating the real world and it might show my age, but I remember in 95, 96, people trying to do on internet sites and going down aisles to buy things. And if replicating the real world worked, we wouldn't have Amazon today. Uh, So it's, you know, because we found a formula which wasn't like the real world. And so you've got to be careful about kind of the pursuits of, you know, the Xerox, I think. 1996, you talk about replication of the real world, the challenge there was bandwidth, right? So if you look at it today, part of it is, Achilles, to your point, it's really, it's the cart before the horse. Now that we have 5G, zero latency, quote-unquote, the truth is that that should create this seamless experience of transition. And then, of course, you layer on top of that AR, which seems to be the hot kid in the house. The challenge with that is it just feels like it's this layer of just this new filter on top of everything that we see. So it's not necessarily like an aha moment. So I kind of throw up a bit when people talk about Web3 because ultimately I went through one and two and I it almost killed me apparently. But if you think about Web3, if I just turn around that because I'm the buzzword king, I would say it's Web me. And if that was really what it's about, which is if I can take back all of the data that I've left on the internet and, and have that valuable in some respects, 
as a creator, which is clearly the only economy people want to talk about, well, that's interesting as a discussion. But to think we're going to jump into this thing where it's all kind of, you know, spend hours and hours in front of more screens, uh-uh, no thanks very much indeed. For the last three years has taught me that there's time for baking and bedtime stories and there's time to head out into the wilderness and spend some time in nature and not just in front of screens because this experience isn't exactly edifying. And it's certainly not making me a better human. I'd rather do this in a bar with you cats, which is the last time I did something for the drum, actually, I think it was in the UK at a bar. And that felt a bit more like an edifying experience. But if I'm going to virtualize that, those experiences don't work. If you saw Samsung's version of the store, it's a park Walmart's today, which seems like a lift. If you look at Samsung's, which feels like a step, the thing that's really interesting about that, if you see the characters walking around their store, mate, you walk through characters. And that feels to me like, oh, that isn't actually a better human experience, that's actually worse because it feels further away than uh, an enhanced reality. It just feels like a bad version of a game. Calm down is what I would say to those who are... And then also, sorry, mate, just one point, which is just to Keely's point about the, the, the shiny object. It reminds me of that discussion that opening you said, you know, back in like 1999, I'd have these designers show me, hey, Shinya, there's this thing called Flash over here. Look at this. It's this big and it's 16 frames a second and it's incredible. I'm like, watch this. I got a remote controller, turned the TV on and said, that looks pretty fast to me too. So it's really about applicability and when it actually enhances experiences, not, not takes away and creates distractions. So that's... Anyway, that's, that's the point on calming down. You know, let's, let's do a stock take on whether it appeals and is a reality and has form and function that really meets the requirements of connecting with people, period, full stop. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what Kitty says. I mean, I think right now some people behind Web3 thinks about, think to say it's a bit like that don't look up asteroid, which is going to like destroy all, all businesses and everything's going to be Web3 in the future. And then on the other side, some people are like, there's going to be a web one, web two, web three type of business, and it's all going to going to be all mix up. I think. I mean, I, Keely, I mean, for you, did it, in the company are the companies worried about web three or they see it as an advantage? To your point, it's like it's all an evolution, right? Like it's all going to exist along alongside one another. I think that so much of the. <laughs> the discourse online. And and so much of the reason I think you see so much pushback on that discourse is because people are talking about it as though Web3 is suddenly going to replace everything that we know and love about the internet like tomorrow. And that that isn't frankly what's what's going to happen. It's not possible when we when we look at you know where the tech is today and and where where people are and, and how long it takes, you know, Facebook just had its biggest Christmas with Oculus, but that's you know been years in the making. So thinking about those adoption curves like it's just not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen overnight. And I don't think, frankly, that at least a lot of a lot of our clients are are that concerned about it just yet. But they, you know, some of our more forward-thinking clients do have it on the mind and and do I think get that 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 rush and that frenzy and that you know they're fed by all of this conversation that's happening around NFTs and Web three and and crypto and all the all the hype that's happening online. But I think for the most part. It's it's tempered for now. Are you finding, are you both finding that uh, the clients you speak with, I certainly find this to be the case, that all of what you just, what you just reeled off being blockchain, NFTs, cryptos, Web3 are all thrown into the same category of this seismic moment of change? Yeah, it does seem like it's all just muddied up in the, in the future conversation. <laughs> 
But today, the first architecture to get involved in this seems to be back to 8-bit design, where you're building, you know, you're building characterizations of some sort of interesting extension of your brand, a la Pepsi's Mike, or you look at, you know, Adidas and Nike buying, you know, NFT design. I mean, honestly, mate, it really feels like 8-bit design is back, which I love to bits because I grew up in that you know, pixel for pixel. But it's really interesting that not every brand can architect that. So some of these more culturally street-level brands feels like an extension, and that's awesome because they can actually create it in a reality, meaning they can take this characterization that feels like it was invented in their quote-unquote metaverse, Web3, NFT, blockchain, Bitcoin experience, and it can literally be 3D printed on the front of their shoe tomorrow. That's awesome. But that's not every brand can participate in that, which is why it's kind of like, wow, you know, let's just take a moment, in my opinion, that where's the relevancy and where's the experimentation? Because this shiny object of experimentation, by the way, none of the media budgets are stopping. This thing is just an additive moment, which I think is really kind of inspiring, really. But But what is where the excitement is, is in spaces where brands don't exist or classic brands that don't exist. So... You know, the experiments with DAOs and trying to buy a basketball team or or whatever um, and trying to work out how to kind of create authentic communities. But there's there's that's been that is successful in some scale in the uh, in this web three discordy zone. And so I think and, and also with the NFTs, like the, the rise of the art, the eight-bit art and stuff like that. It's sort of just by a bunch of people, partly the art community and just other people and finance people who are just off doing this sort of stuff. And again, there's no kind of brand corporation connection right now. And that's where the exciting space is, I think. Yeah, it's the brands. The brands that can engage are the ones that, you know, like Nike, they already have this pre-existing feedback loop with their fans and their customers, or at least they have an inclination and an appetite to have that. They So they've got these tight-knit relationships, but they've also got a really strong sense of identity and self-confidence in that identity, which is why I think you see some luxury brands playing around too, like the Gucci's of the world. They're the ones with the the tight knit relationships and the strong sense of identity who can sort of let go a little bit more and embrace these ideas of like brands as playgrounds and fans as like true vested stakeholders in a way that like your average CPG brand just isn't going to do today and probably isn't going to do in the next five years. You know, the positive of that, if I can add to what you're saying, the thing that's really interesting, you said Gucci. Gucci goes selling for $3,000, I think, is kind of the most hilarious thing I've ever seen, by the way, the animated GIF of Gucci. Uh, awesome for that person. The challenge for me is that, or the excitement of that challenge is that it's it's been coming for a long time. So if you look at some of those luxury brands, they would go after people that copied their brand and replicate it. But you fast forward to a couple of years ago with Dapper Dan, for example, they you know, they do a, a wonderful partnership with somebody who's been hacking their brand for the last 10 years and threatening to put this person through courts and jails, I'm sure. And suddenly he's one of the leaders of the brand now, which I think is amazing. So if you find that, you know, these brands have understood that the speed of culture of which they need to participate in means they need to let go, that's why I, I, I find it fascinating because as much as Gucci Ghost, I think, was hilarious, they also, you know, they launched a couple of bags uh, as NFTs that are sort of, you know, digital design bags and you've got Louis Vuitton doing something very similar, but also where it actually hits the physical brand 
is that, you know, they do these these radical partnerships that would have deemed impossible previously where you've got all the bespoke brands like Balenciaga and Gucci and Louis Vuitton all coming together and hacking each other's brand at the same time. You wouldn't have seen that mashup 10 years ago. So this open web and this openness of DAO, as you say, Piers, there's all these ideas allows brands to say, well, how does this manifest at the street level of where I'm valued? which is, you know, the physical manifestation of my brand, not just the digital manifestation of a brag right, which means I have a little 8-bit character as my icon. You know, how does it really manifest? And I think that's really been, that's been the amazing seismic shift psychologically is the openness of digital has opened up the physical brands themselves, and I find that to be very encouraging. To add, Shingi, what I think fuels that is the ability to own uh, and track ownership which allows, so you can have all these mashups, and we've always had some mashups of all sorts, but this ability to kind of um, stake a claim, kind of say, I own this, whether it's a digital product or a physical product that gets added to the blockchain and stuff like that, it's, uh, I think that kind of adds a lot of gasoline to this uh, experience that we haven't seen before. So I want to take this, this so this is fantastic, easiest session that I've ever moderated. <laughs> you get... <laughs> hey, come on, man, where are the questions? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. No, but let's think about it from the consumer perspective, you know, um, you know, because we've we, we've talked a little bit about fandom and, um, you know, decentralization of brand ownership. And, you know, there's this concept of the omni consumer. So from their lens, you know, because we know how marketers thinking and our clients like what do we need to be thinking about? Like what is, you know, Joe and Jane consumer thinking about all this and how how do the, how do we reach them? As all this stuff is happening, I mean, we understand at a very high intellectual level, but, you know, most people are kind of like, what is all this stuff? Metaverse is still a new concept, really, um, as well as a lot of the other things that we've already talked about. We covered a lot of ground. So where does the bullshit live in the consumer life, I guess, is where I'm where I'm getting at. And how should marketers be thinking about that? And I'm going to come to Keely first with this one, because I know she has some opinions about culture as a whole. So I think the first layer is that most consumers aren't thinking about it at all. They're not even remotely thinking about the metaverse or Web3 or have even heard those words because they don't live mostly on Twitter all day and, and in, in the middle of this discourse. So I think it's it's more about understanding the, like I said before, sort of the human drivers and the societal shifts that are making some of this possible, that are sitting behind the shiny objects and that are going to fuel the role of the shiny objects in the future. One of the things that I think consumers are really, you know, interacting with in meaningful ways and, and feeling the impact of is this sort of nicheification, if you will, of identity and community and media. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting and something that we should be keeping our eyes on, right? You've got like the embrace of niche, niche aesthetics from TikTok to Tumblr and all of this, you know, sort of rise of subcultural interests. You've got the creepy, chaotic beauty of the TikTok algorithm. You've got the explosion of platforms like Substack and Discord, which we've already talked a lot about, that make it easy to find content and community that feels like it's speaks really specifically to you. So you've got this really awesome sort of fascinating shift for people who are no longer sort of dealing with the broadcast Rolodex style social media of Facebook and all of that. They're in these sort of warmer, more intimate spaces, these smaller spaces that allow them to, to flex their identity in, in, in really awesome ways. And brands aren't necessarily ready for that, right? Because if you pair this sort of unbundling and this sort of uh, you know, nicheification of media and community 
with a post cookies environment that we're quickly headed toward, you've got serious questions about sort of, you know, how, when, where, with what do we reach people moving forward? That's a really big conversation that I don't, I don't know uh, a lot of clients are really, really ready for or thinking about. I think that the delay of, I, th- I would say that the delay of the cookie, the cookie rules by at least 12 months by Google was just a manifestation of change. In Europe, when I ran media and marketing for AOL, we were prepared for for that a long time ago, and we understood the value of first-party data, period, full stop. The fact that brands for the last 20 years have outsourced all of their brand iconography to third parties that they don't own, shame on them. And at the same time, if they're going to go after mass, 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 and they they have to move into niche, it just means they have to do much better strategy planning, which they're not designed for. Because when I speak to most brands, at certainly at the end of last year, they were worried about the metaverse. They're all intrigued by Web3. But you know what? Most of their spend still goes onto these social platforms, of which privately they kind of throw under the bus. So you kind of think, well, what, what the hell are you going to do, mate? At the end of the day, you have an opportunity to make a seismic change to the reality of your business if you're prepared to do the hard work. Most brands today have been lazy. And so I think that, you know, we need brands to be a lot smarter about the way they need to think about that. For 10 years, I've been saying that niche is a new mess. And, you know, we we popularized that by publishing things that felt like that was super niche. But that also comes with problems architecture as a consumer. So if you go to trusted brands today, you trust the source of that information, you can go deep without having to go a mile wide. Today, we're all a mile wide and we're an inch deep. And so you spend even more time going to places to find out whether the, the things that you're researching or the data you're looking at is for real. Because we're kind of in this skimming culture. So that'll calm down at some point in time and we'll just have more places. But, I, you know, to Keely's point, I just think people need to stop being lazy and we need to start thinking about where are the audiences that we think about? Because when you talk about, you know, what about Web3 and the metaverse and NFTs, it all depends on whether the brand cares about that consumer that cares about that as a thing. If they don't, go spend your money still on bloody newspapers and TVs or something. I don't bloody know. It's really got to do with the audience for that brand and where they deeply engage about making that conscious decision to engage in that brand when they make the purchase. Period. Full stop. There's obviously trends which have always existed. I think um, with all this Web3 stuff, um, the popularization comes when somebody explains that an NFT is a baseball card or when someone someone says a DAO is like uh, an employee-owned business around the corner and can just help kind of get, take the brand and take kind of fairly complex and geeky um, ideas and just present them in a kind of way where kind of consumers can just kind of buy into it. And I think obviously we saw, as we talk, I think about, oh, can you, you know, Apple throughout its history has basically watched these kind of crazy creation moments, the MP3 player and stuff like that, and then come in and said, okay, we're going to simplify this and make and make a very complex thing simple that the consumer can buy into. And I, I, I assume that the popularization will come that way. So where do the, where do the opportunities lie? You know, where, you know, we've, we've got this, we've got this kind of messy moment, you know, and these are the most exciting moments in marketing, right? You know, when you're really thinking about what can happen and, 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 and really this is supposed to be sort of a futurist type thing. So let's, let's use our imaginations a little bit. You know, like what could happen? Like what would, what is a great outcome for brand marketers using all, some of the things that are happening right now? Like what would, what would we like to see happen? You know, if we have this conversation five years from now, we'll all get together again and we'll be like, you were right. Or that was, uh, 
Oh, that really was bullshit. We, you know, we, we fell for that one because it happens. It happens. We've all seen it. You know, things it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, that's what makes covering this fun and being a part of it fun and probably why we've dedicated our lives to it. So, um, you know, I'll throw it up into the group, you know, give me one thing that you think might actually be real and interesting that we have to really, you know, tell our clients to be thinking about and, 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 and imagining success with. The thing I love, and it's funny, you frame this session around sort of there's for every trend, there's a counter trend. And I think that's very, very fundamentally true when it comes to this whole metaverse conversation, right? So for me, hyperphysicality is a fascinating counterpoint to um, to this whole virtual world conversation that we've been having. And I think it's particularly you know resonant in your world of retail, Pierce. Like, what do we expect of real world experiences when so much of our lives have moved online, that idea that, you know, it's not just replicating the real and the digital, but we also don't want the digital infusing in the real. So we want those real world experience to, to be hyper real, to be hyper physical, to be tactile and sensorial and to give us something that we're not getting in these other environments. Um, so I think to, to, to brands, I would say, you know, we spend so much time in this this sort of virtual space and thinking about what the future holds from a digital perspective. But let's spend some time thinking about what that demands of the real world experiences that we create for people and what they'll look for in those in those types of you know real world environments. Mm. Do you think that with the influx, particularly in some of these urban environments, of uh, more retail opportunities to happen, the brands will take advantage of that more? So, are you seeing that? I would hope so. I, I hope there's, you know, like more pop-ups, for example. One that's really quite inspiring for me was Dior doing, uh, sorry, Louis Vuitton doing uh, the caravan. I don't know what you guys call it in the US, but they have a caravan that they will pull into fancy people's houses and they could just walk out the steps of the Hamptons home and, and buy as much as they possibly could in front of the, the Louis Vuitton caravan. And I thought that was just absolutely inspiring because for me, and by the way, at the same time, they were taking their retail stores and doing these ultra VIP experiences where one person in the store at one time with one person, with one consultant. So you have this peripheral of this hyper money can't buy experience, which apparently it can. And then you've got this incredible caravan that pulls up to the front of these houses. So I think to your point that retail becomes exponentially more creative because of these opportunities for counterpoints, you know, of interaction. I mean, obviously there's going to be a big challenge. I think everyone thinking, we're going to go back to the way things were, or we're going to put a DJ or put some some video wall or something to get people in. Um, it's a challenge. If you walk through Soho today, you walk down Broadway, there are so many retailers and that that I that most people don't know about, unless you're into more kind of hype culture and things like that. They're taking over the taking over retail because they're providing a different experience, and they're not only connecting through the through that touch point, but they're connecting through a bunch of other touch points. And I think if you think about um, what what advice we should give brands, I think you should look at how everyday people are, they're, they're making entertainment for each other, they are selling to each other, they are uh, making commercial messages to each other, and um, which isn't totally new, but... Um, is that how do you not get in the way? How do you look at possibly the luxury brands that um, Shingi is talking about? Look what the luxury brands are doing. They're sort of enabling this transaction between people or the the sharing of, of brand messaging um, without dictating like they used to. You know, obviously five, 10 years ago, they stopped everybody doing anything with their logos. Um, 
And so just kind of thinking, how do you be that part of that? And obviously as a marketer, just doing the stuff, buying an NFT, minting, minting something, joining a Discord group and seeing what chaos is inside it. I think it's uh, super important just so you can have a point of view. You know, the thing about Discord for me is the persona part of it. So you can go in and you talk about chaos. You can be as chaotic as you want because you're masked. In some respects, that's kind of, that's been Twitter's bad for the last 10 years by not restricting trolls. So shame on them, but well done Discord because you know what it says on the tin. It is chaos. But I do think what's really interesting, it's like internal Slack channels, same deal. Woohoo! But what I do think is fascinating from, from my perspective is, look, screen as a service is here to stay and not in your living room. Your living room's kind of played out, dude. And if I look at all the interesting technology in the living room, it's all falling back, meaning technology picks up when you want it and it falls back when it doesn't and it becomes incredibly efficient because the whole thing is meant to be intertwined and smart. But as autonomy, particularly with cars and the demand for one-to-one driving experiences becomes more pronounced as we have more pandemics, the mass communication travel is probably not going to be as we expect it to be euphoric today. So screen as a service is going to be really important. Big screens in cars where you rent a whole bunch of widgets and bobs and bits, that actually feels more like where you spend most of your money and most of that commute time perhaps is something that I'm watching very closely. But I would say... The other thing that's really quite fascinating to me is that if brands want to keep up with the speed of culture and democratizing the ability for people to express themselves, digital's a wonderful experience to do that. Because every other tool that we've seen in the past has been already democratized. So as a designer, I would have an entire studio and an entire system be able to build one little thing. Today, you don't have to worry about that. It all happens in your phone and thanks to people like Apple that have allowed musicians to become democratised, photographers to become democratised, video photographers to become democratised. So each one of these popular platforms just become another way of people to, to express themselves. And we all know that personal expression is a new form of entertainment. How does a brand get in the middle of that? By hopefully encouraging it. And I think that that to watch that will be fascinating because with that, we'll just have this whole new cast of people as the creative community becomes more pronounced. And the other market that I'm really interested in is the secondary market around that. So if you look at something like Shopify, which I think is a really interesting play against Amazon, as people create these crafts and things that they want to be able to sell, the platform to do that on is either you go Etsy or the eBay route or the simplified version of that is Shopify. But if you can't build a really beautiful, complex-looking store, you can hire somebody to do that. So as we move to potentially more of the gig community, that's also a category to look at because these secondary markets are being created for people who become specialists around that community, which is not new, but fundamentally interesting to watch. And that's where, you know, the TikToks of this world are fascinating and even Instagram. In some ways we have new, we have new tools for things that have been happening for a few years. So Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So Keely, did you have a, a finer point on this and, and before, and I'll, I'll let you, uh, pontificate and then i'm going to go to the group to, to put a to, to wrap this up and have everybody give one piece of advice if there's one thing that you want to leave everybody with you know about sussing through the bullshit and 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 building for the future what would that be so i'm just going to plant that seed but Kelly, to the to the other points uh, was there anything you'd like to add i i mean i think honestly my 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 two answers on that are connected because I was going to say all of this conversation, it goes back to the thing that we love to tell our brands is like, if you know what you believe, you know how to behave, which is why the brands that have that fundamental understanding of who they are and that 
confidence in their identity are able to to play in all these spaces are able to know which spaces they should play in and which spaces they shouldn't play in because they they have an understanding of of who they are and what that means for how they show up in the world and what people expect of them and what people will give them a right to do um so i think you know all of those those various sort of inroads that that Shingy just mentioned and that we've talked about are opportunities if you have the sort of freedom and flexibility and confidence in your identity to to take those on. So I think that that for me is a little bit the piece of advice, but it's um it's also I think so critical when you need your bullshit detector on, right? Because I think for different brands, different components of this are bullshit and are reality. It's it's not one to one for every brand, I think. I think maybe the other piece of advice is around uh focus. I do think we are we're in a moment, we are in the future right now. We are in a moment of considerable change, um, whether it's Web3, whether it's fast retail and how fast retail is changing cities uh, faster than the kind of municipalities can actually control it. Um, there's a lot going on. It's super exciting and it's super, super chaotic. And I think um, you just... You have to decide what you want to focus on because you can you can get swept up with everything and uh, actually become sort of like not do anything as a result of it. I'll do the opposite of that, mate, just because I can. <laughs> I would say that every brand needs to treat it like a portfolio. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is just absolutely ricochet off a bunch of different things and see where things become contagious. And if they become contagious, just apply a bunch of media behind it, whatever that means. And, and just treat it that way because otherwise you're just not going to understand it. And that's the research. You've got to spend the time. You've got to, you've got to learn the notes to be able to play in this rock band if you, want to, if you want to be there, man, because I totally think it all needs to be punked. So I'd get ahead of that before we get punked. Yeah, Shinky, but I think there needs to be some guiding principle about. Oh, amen, man. brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you need to know, and it's to Killy's point, you need to know who you are because if you don't know who you are, then you don't know how to behave and you're going to act like a 16-year-old kid when you're actually 75 years old. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, I get you, man. All right. Well, I, I have to say we covered a lot of ground, a lot of wisdom, inspiration about being a little punk rock and knowing who you are. And 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 uh, I just want to thank everyone here for 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 being so candid and doing my job for me easiest session ever and uh and i hope everybody who's tuning in in the office or at home or wherever you may be that uh that you really enjoyed the session and and you tune in for the rest of them so uh so thank you very much what a pleasure thanks guys